I'll remind us of our mission. Our mission at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want everybody to know Christ as their Savior and Lord and live their life for Him. We're going to continue in our series. We've been calling this series, Thou Shalt, the Ten Commandments. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at just verse 13. And I'm calling this sermon, No Murder. Okay, you're wondering what this, this message is about. It's about no murder. <laughs> we find ourselves in the sixth commandment this morning. And I think most of you have heard this commandment before. Maybe you've lived under a rock your entire life and have never heard this. But go ahead, let me go ahead and read this to you. Found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. This is what God says. He says, you shall not murder. Okay, that's a pretty easy verse, right? Pretty short verse. If you're going to do memory uh, verses, this is a good one to memorize because it's so short. I think you can get this one done. But when this was written, it was originally written in Hebrew, okay? Uh, Don't think that the the Bible was written in in Old English. It wasn't. Uh, The Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament, uh, for the most part, Greek. And this shouldn't bother you because the words that we read in English, it means the exact same thing that we read if we were reading Hebrew, And this book that we come together, we call it the Bible, this is the most translated and the best translated book in the history of time, okay? And so this is what God means. When when God said, you shall not murder, you want to know what he meant, what he really meant? This is what he meant. You shall not murder. That's what he meant, okay? So we're going to spend somewhere between 40 to 45 minutes, I don't know how long, how fast I talk, if I slow down. The message seems to go longer. But when I get real excited, we get out of here early. And I'm sure some of you are saying, well, hey, let's get out of here early. Speak fast, Pastor John. But (laughs) we're going to be talking about one word. In fact, I thought about this. When I sat down at my computer, I'm thinking about writing this message. I thought I should just read the text, say, you you shall not murder, and say, yeah, don't do that. Then close in prayer. We all go home, right? (laughs) Let's all go head down to Maggie's. Is Maggie still open on Sundays? Oh, it's not? Oh. I love him. I was there yesterday. I had breakfast. It was great. But uh, (laughs) uh, so the reason why we're not going to do that is because the Bible's profitable. God tells us the Bible's profitable. In fact, every single word written in this book is is for our good. And and this word that we're studying today, the word murder, might be on the top of the, the words you really need to understand and know. As, after all, it did make God's top ten list. But I think there's been some confusion concerning this commandment for a very long time because the King James Bible, when this was translated, it used a different word other than murder. Okay, there, there's, there's a number of different words in our Old Testament that are referring to some sort of killing act of some sort. But the question is, what did God mean when he said murder? Well, let's read the King James Version. The King James found Exodus 20, verse 13. It says, thou shalt not kill. Okay? Now, I need to say that the King James is a wonderful translation. It has probably done more for the proliferation of the gospel than any other translation, you know, other than the original text, of course, which isn't a translation. But, but back in 1525, when William Tinsdale was translating the, the Latin Vulgate into a readable English, because back then, the, or the entire Bible was written in, in Latin, and the common people couldn't speak Latin, so the, I mean... It was all Latin to them, so they couldn't read it. And so he took it upon himself to translate it to, to English. It ended up costing him his life. Okay? 
And, and so I think that he probably should have used the word murder over kill when he wrote ex, or translated Exodus 20, verse 13. But yet, if I'm going to you know, criticize Mr. Tenzo, I think I need to praise him where he got it right, because after all, it ended up costing his life. That the, that the Catholic Church ordered him to be killed, and he ended up being strangled and then burned at the stake. I think they want to make sure he was really dead. That happened in Vildemore, Belgium in 1536. But th- my initial question is, is that many uh, English-speaking Christians ask is, they're debating, does the word kill and murder mean the same thing? And I think that this has caused a lot of Christians to go down some very false thinking some very bad teaching because of that one word. And this has caused some to say, well, you should never defend yourself. If somebody breaks into your home and they're harming your wife or your kids, you should just let them go ahead and do what they're going to do because we're told to never kill. And I think that's greatly wrong. It's very wrong thinking. You see, the implications of just one single word have massive cascading effects if one word is misunderstood in our Bible. Here's what I think. I believe that God is not a pacifist. Okay? The Bible does not teach that God is a pacifist. And I do not believe that this commandment is commanding us to be pacifists. Because in the original language, the, the word really shouldn't say, thou shall not kill. A more descriptive word say this is that you shall not murder. Okay, so the, the, what we're reading in our English Standard Version and some other versions that use the word murder is the Hebrew word rashach. Say it, rashak. Okay, you got six of you, okay? It's a real, you get any Hebrew, you got to use a real guttural, throaty sounding words. It's angry, isn't it? It's an angry sounding word. Well, after all, it's saying murder. It should sound angry. But it's a word that's just referring to the unwilling, undeserved taking of a life. It is, it is such things like manslaughter. It's such things like unauthorized kill, killing, it's, it's personal vengeance, it's revenge, and it also means just regular old, good old-fashioned murder. And so much as what I, I think we need to talk about what it means, I think we need to talk about what it doesn't mean. Because there's some that have gone so far with misunderstanding this one that I don't think that they're ever going to come back. So let me give you a quiz. You tell me if this constitutes murder or not. How about a situation like self-defense? Yes or no, murder. No, okay, we're, we're agreeing here. Let me give you another one. A soldier in a just war. No, okay, we're on the same. How about a police officer that's re- returning fire to protect his or her own life? No, okay. Um, how, how about, uh, just keep it there. Does that qualify as murder? You all say no, and I would agree. How about this? Inf- infanticide. Murder? Yes. Acts of terrorism? Yes. Suicide? Mm, went silent on that one. I'd have to say yes. There, there, it's murder. Anytime that you, that you take a life and it is unjustified, that is called murder. Okay? Part of what makes this difficult is that we, we can't just say you shall never kill because there's times when killing is justified. But at the same time, we ha- need to have restrictions on this whole situation so that there's not this just uncontrolled slaughtering of, of innocent people. And so murder's wrong. Shouldn't do that, okay? So, so is killing and murdering the same thing? I think the answer is clearly no. So there's times when we're justified in, in the, the killing of an individual, but we need to talk about why. Why is murder so wrong? Because we live in a day of situational ethics, 
Okay, and this is what we're taught. We're taught that God is not the center of the universe. We are taught that you are the center of the universe, or I am the center of the universe. And there's some that believe that this commandment was simply given, that the entire Bible was given by the forces that be to just keep the population, of the, the mass, in line. That's what some people teach. And so what happens is we don't, we don't find our final authority to be external. We find our final authority to be internal. And so how this plays out is that you are the ultimate authority. Or I am the ultimate authority. So what people are trying to do is they're trying to explain away God. Because if you can explain away God, then you do not have to answer to him. That you can live your life however you choose. And so often what people do is they, they try to put, they explain away God, and then they put uh, excuse me, animal life over human life. And then they put, actually, human life beneath animal life. But the book of Genesis, it says that God, that God made men and women in his own image. You see, what that means is that human beings bear the image of God. And while animals and even angels, consider that angels do not bear God's image. And so I want you to know that Jesus died for people. Why? Because people have a soul. And every single man and woman will live forever. Ever, for, forever somewhere, either in heaven with Jesus forever eternally or eternally separated from Jesus in hell. And so when it comes to this issue of murder, God does, say, does not say you, sh- you shouldn't murder, not because it's just not nice or because it's rude or it's inconsiderate. That's not why God says that. There's a much bigger issue. And the issue is because human beings bear the image of God. And so if somebody murders somebody... They're not only doing violence against that person, against that individual, they're actually doing violence on God. Okay? Murder is not just a civil issue, it's not just a social issue, but it's a God issue too. Okay? It's not just offense against the person, but it's also an offense against the God who made that person in his own image. And so when you murder a person, you're not just murdering that person, you're also declaring where, uh, mur- excuse me, declaring war on God who made that person in his own image. And so when it comes to murder, it's not just a murder issue. It's a demonic issue. Have you ever looked at a mass murder? Somebody did some horrific act and do you think, how in the world can anybody ever do that? I'm sure you've read the news and said that. It's really a demonic issue. You know, and, and Jesus says in John 8 verse 44, he's talking to these guys that want to murder him. And he looks at these guys and he says, he says, you're just like your dad. That's what he tells these guys. He says, your dad, the devil, has been murdering since the beginning. So murder is a demonic issue. I want you to know that God makes life. Satan takes life. Satan loves it when people are put to death wrongly or prematurely or unjustly. So every time we see something that leads to destruction of human life, just know that Satan's the mastermind behind it all. Okay? When you see pornography, that leads to death. Some say, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody. No, it leads to death. Satan's the one behind, behind making it happen. When you see this proliferation of gangs and drugs killing people, that's Satan's handiwork. When you see all this gender confusion that's so prevalent today, Satan is the one that's behind the curtain pulling the levers to make it happen because Satan loves it when God's image bearers die. So today... Murder is so common that we have to come up with other words to really describe what we're talking about because plain old murder just doesn't seem to cover it anymore. 
We have to use words like genocide to explain mass murder. When, when, when a point of mass murder doesn't get it, we have to talk about genocide where thousands upon thousands are killed. There, there's a place called Dufar. It's in, it's in western Sudan. And since February of 2003, over 400,000 people have been murdered by their own government. Usually when we talk about this, we go to Hitler's Holocaust, and Hitler was able to murder over 6 million Jews during that time. That's just the Jews. That's not even talking about gypsies or, or disabled people that he was murdering, and that was all in the name of ethnic cleansing. Joseph Stalin, he murdered over 6 million of his own people. And then Mao Zedong of the People's Republic, Republic of China, 27 million of his own, his, his own uh, civilians, and it was, they were murdered by starvation. And this was all something that he called the Great Leap Forward. Hey, hey, let's have a little question time. Here's a little fun fact, and maybe you know the answer. What do names like Hitler, Lenin, Mao, and Stalin all have in common? We were thinking they're, they're, all, they're all communists, and that's right, but more specifically, they're atheistic communists. Okay? They're willing to murder millions of men, women, and children all to keep themselves in power. Why do these men love communism so much? I'll tell you why. Because under communism, you don't come from God. You don't have some particular dignity under communism because God's not in charge. Under communism, the state's in charge. God's not sovereign over life. The state is sovereign over life. And that state has the right to end as many lives of people it deems necessary because maybe they're unwilling, unfit, unequal. And they can murder millions for any reason at all. In the book of Proverbs, specifically chapter 8, verse 36, God says, all who hate me love death. Did you know that? If you hate me, you, you, you'll hate death. If you love me, if you hate me, you'll love death. So those that love God actually love life. But if you hate God, you'll love death. And that's why communists are always atheists. The more you read your Bible, the more you're going to have the mind of Christ, the more that you're going to be pro-life. How about this? Because somebody's going to ask this question. Well, does the government have the right to take human life in specific circumstances? There's somebody saying, if life is so precious and God made men and women in his own image, then shouldn't we just disband any form of capital punishment? Well, the Bible's answer to that is clearly no. All human life is precious, and that's why we must reserve the right to enforce capital punishment when capital punishment will, will preserve human life. And some people are thinking, well, that, that's hypocritical. No, you see, somebody that is, that is capable of... of, of perpetrating murder on somebody else without, without thought or without remorse. They're not doing it one time. They're willing and able to do it many, many, many times. And so capital punishment will actually preserve life. The reason why that capital punishment is a biblical concept is because it protects human life. Because the best course of action for a society to take is to remove that individual's own life so they can never murder again. Because here's a hard fact. I think we can all agree on this, that somebody who is put to death will never murder again. Right? How about this question? Is abortion murder? 
You kind of had to know I was going to go there, right? We're actually, we're talking about this, and I'm a Southern Baptist pastor in a, in a conservative Southern Baptist church. You had to know I was going to address this issue at some point. You know why? Because abortion is just a more polite way of saying the murder of a baby in its mother's womb. It's not a choice. It's murder. Okay, so don't let semantics confuse you. If you believe in choice, great. I don't believe in murder. So we're not talking about choice when we use that word. We're talking about murder. When does life begin? Well, I think the Bible teaches very clearly that, that life begins at conception. Scientifically and medically, this is, this is not, you can't even debate this. The fact that, that life begins at conception. And if you don't believe this, and I would ask you to follow the science. The more we study, the more we learn, the more we discover that little clump of cells inside a mother's womb, and yes, I said mother, I didn't say birthing person. It's a mother. That's a human life inside that mother. And human life, it has personhood regardless of what those that want the right to murder that that baby says. And some people have it completely backwards because some of you driving down the road and I don't know about you, I see this car and the car has a sticker on it and the, the sticker says, save the whales. And save the whales, that's great. We should probably save the whales, but then right next to it, another sticker that says, my body, my choice. What? That's, well, first off, that, that's not your body. That's some other body altogether because that other body has different DNA, has different blood type. A lot of the times it always has different fingerprint. Sometimes they have a different eye color, so that's not your body. That's someone else's body altogether. So to try to say save the whales and then say murder a baby in the same breath, it's, it's inconsistent to say the minimum. I know it's so much more than that, but I'm trying to make a point. Because there's some that will argue for the rights of animals and the same breath argue for the rights of abortion. Because from there it goes, hey, animals are beautiful and they're amazing and we need to save them because the next step is, well, elderly people are inconvenient, so we need to go ahead and kill them. You're thinking, no, no, it'll never get like that. Yes, it does. That's the way this thinking always goes. But God says that people are made in my image and my likeness and they're precious to me, however inconvenient they are to you. That's what God says. That's why human life is sacred. So to the person that is screaming for tolerance and justice, but yet they toss the Bible aside, they never even read this book, I need you to know that this book has done more for tolerance and justice and women's rights than any other book in the history of time. And if you think I'm making that up, you need to read a book before it bur- they burn that book that, pr- that tells the truth, and that is to be true. You know, I remember very vividly when we found out that Amy was pregnant with our, our oldest sitting right there, second row, we found out he was, she was pregnant, so we went down and we had an ultrasound, and yes, there was a little baby human being growing inside her womb. And then at week 28, we went down and we had a 4D ultrasound. Can we show the picture? It's not real clear, but there he is. There's little Tillman, 28 weeks. Yeah, look at that, little eyes. You can see his eyes, you can see his little nose. That's still his same nose, that's the same nose. He has all these years later, his little mouth. How could you look at that and say, that's not a human being? Well, the, then Amy became pregnant a second time. And then our, our second child, she's now our number three, because through the process of adoption, our number two became the number three. We, we, we knew that there was a little baby growing inside her. And sometime after that, we were, she was diagnosed with cancer. If you don't know, my, my wife's a cancer survivor. But when she was diagnosed with cancer, the doctor had to come and give us our options. 
By options, I mean option number one, do nothing and run the risk of my wife dying because cancer is really inconvenient. And then also maybe the baby dying too. And then here I am, a single dad to a little baby boy. That's option number one. Option number two is to abort the pregnancy, which is a more polite way of saying murdering my daughter because cancer is inconvenient. Well, option number two really isn't an option at all. Option number one is the only one on the, on the table. And then to move forward with a pregnancy and pray like the life of my wife and daughter depends on it. Then at week, week 28, we did another 40 ultrasound. Can I get the next picture? Can you see her? There she is trying to shove her little toe up her nose. <laughs> yeah, isn't that cute? How could you look at that face and say, oh, that's not a baby? That's very clearly a baby. And then... McKenna was born four weeks early, five pounds, one ounce, spent two weeks in the NICU, and I remember sitting by that little incubator with my hand, she's just holding onto this finger. This is the finger she held on to. For two weeks, just sit there, prayed and prayed, please God, spare my daughter. Here she is, almost 15 years later. That's a baby. And technology today, the picture you get is so much better than this. It is so much better. How can you look at a face like that and say that's anything other than a baby? Do you want to know why people that are pro-death fight to stop showing an ultrasound to an expected mother? Because that's going to affect their decision. As, as truth always does, truth always affects decisions. Well, the truth is that's a baby and that affects the decision to kill that baby. Scientifically, medically speaking, biblically speaking... Life begins at conception. I want to give you six reasons why the Bible says that life begins at conceptions. And I can give countless scientific reasons, but I don't think you want to be here until late into the night, so let's just keep it to the Bible. And on a side note, to a church that disagrees with this church on life, you don't have the right to call yourself a Christian church. Call yourself anything but a Christian church, because the Bible's clear. The Bible says that killing a baby in its mother's womb, it's murder. So here's six reasons. Reason number one, God knitted us together in our mother's womb. Read Psalms 139, verse 13. It says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You see, the Bible teaches that God is the one that's involved like building us together inside our mother's womb. It's, he says, knitting us together. Growing up, I spent a lot of time at grandma's house. And my grandma was always knitting, crocheting. I remember her hooks just sitting in her rocking chair making these afghans. And she was knitting. And I kind of picture that's what God's doing as he's, as he's making this baby grow. He's milk, making cells divide. It's a process called mitosis. As, as one cell becomes two cells, then two cells become four cells, and four cells become... It just keeps going and going until... It's a, it's a human life. It's a, it is a human life, but it's a body. And at one stage, a, a cell says, hey, I'm going to become an ear. And then that, those cells keep going. And this, the cell right next to it says, no, I'm going to become a nose. And God is knitting us together. There's so many aspects of conception and the medical world still doesn't fully understand at this time. When I was in and doing my undergrad, I had to take a number of different biology classes and study the, study the reproductive system. Everything that has to happen in order for a baby born, it, it should be impossible. 
The pH level has to be just so, like everything is working against the, the, this, this woman getting pregnant. But yet at the same time, it happens every day. You have a better chance of winning the lottery than anybody ever getting pregnant. But yet that happens every minute, every day, somewhere. You see, as we, the more we learn, the more we explore, we know that life begins at conception. God knows and God sees. And God knits us together in our mother's womb. And he also sees that we're sinners. We're sinners that need a savior from, from our mother's womb. And that's my second point. Not point number two. Only human beings are called sinners. Read Psalms 51 verse 5. It says, Behold, I was bro- brought forth in iniquity. In sin my mother did conceive me. See that baby in a mother's womb? It's not just a baby. It's a little sinner too. They're just waiting for the opportunity to let that sin be brought forth. And did you know that birth gives the child that opportunity? Because babies are sinners. And maybe you're one of the ones going, babies aren't sinners, they're perfect. Well, if you think that, then you need to sign up and work in the nursery for a Sunday. Because <laughs> one baby takes a toy from another baby and says, mine, and then bonks that baby over the head just to make sure the first baby knows. They're little sinners. They need a savior. They like that one, did you? <laughs> Let's just do that one again. Number two, no. Number three, John the Baptist was called a baby in his mother's womb. Read Luke chapter 1, verse 41. It says, and when Elizabeth, that's John's mom, heard the greeting of Mary, that's Jesus' mom, the baby leapt in her womb. What is the word that Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke, he's the the guy that's writing the, the gospel of Luke, and he's a doctor. And the word he used to describe the condition of the of the baby that's inside the, the Elizabeth's womb is the Greek word brephos. Brephos, it, it means unborn child. It means a newborn child. It also means a toddler. You know, the Bible uses all the same word for all three of them. You know why? Because they're all the same. Jump forward into the middle of Luke's gospel. The same guy is, is describing something that's going on. He's telling this this day that, that Jesus is telling this parable and Jesus is telling this parable of a, of a Pharisee and a tax collector that, that goes to the temple and he says that the Pharisee, just so proud of himself and just praising God and says, God, thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjustified, adulterers, and like this dirty, rotten tax collector over there. And then Jesus says that tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, just beat his chest and he said, God... Be merciful on a sinner like me. Right after that, immediately, like the next verse, Luke 18, verse 15. It says, now they were bringing even infants to him. It's an amazing word, infants to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. And Jesus called, called them to him, saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That word infant in verse 15, it's brephos. That's the same word. Luke 1 to Luke 18, it's all brephos. The the Bible uses the same word for a baby in a mother's womb to an infant. You know why? Because they're the same. The Bible sees no difference between a child in a mother's womb and and a child that's walking and talking. Why? Because they're the same. Point number four, God became a baby in a mother's womb. Did you know that? That God became a baby in a mother's womb? 
All the time, people say, well, God became a man. That's true. I've said it. I've said it hundreds of times. But we have to recognize that first he became a baby. Why did God become a baby? Well, I think for one reason, because God loves babies. Then think about it. How could the sovereign God reveal himself to his creation? He could have done it a thousand different ways, but yet he chose to become a baby. God chose to reveal himself to creation through a mother's womb. Then here's a little fun fact. What happened right after that? Right after that, there was this political leader that was so enraged by a birth of a baby because that baby now born was going to be a great inconvenience to that king. So he ordered all the male babies to be murdered. This demented king wanted to kill babies because babies were an inconvenience to him. That's satanic. You know what Satan does? He kills babies. Number five, point number five, God's a father. God is a father, and the sovereign God could choose any word he chose to reveal himself to to creation, and yet he chose the word father. What do you think the father's heart towards children is? What is is God, the father's heart towards children? As a father, I would do anything to protect my children, anything. Murder would do anything to take the life of a child. God's a father. He's not a murderer. Here's the sixth and last point. Point number six, the Bible calls abortion murder. Did you know that? The Bible says it outright. It is very clear. Now, we're in Exodus chapter 20. Go to Exodus 21. I don't even have to turn a page. It's on the same page, Exodus 21, verse 22 through 25. God says, when men are strived together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child come, come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the mother's husband shall oppose on him. And he shall pay the judge as the judge determines. But if there's harm, but if there's harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Let's kind of talk about the situation here. God's saying, hey, there's two guys and they're, they're really going at it, they're fighting They're going at it and something happens. They hit this pregnant gal, but the baby lives. It's like, whew, that was so close. The baby lives. Well, then the guy that hit her is going to be fined, financially speaking. But if that baby dies, that man's to be put to death. You kill him. Why? Because he caused the death of a precious baby in his mother's womb. You know, I started in research for this message. I started Googling different situations that have caused the death of a child, but don't, don't even do that. Don't even go down that road. I just had to throw all that research away and just sit there and cry. As a pastor, I've had to do a lot of counseling. Hundreds of situations, I don't know. But the single worst one, this is something I will I don't remember every counseling session I've ever done, but this is one I will never, ever forget, but involved a first respond, responder that had a situation he had to deal with. And I'm not going to tell you what happened that day because you'll never forget it either, but what caused this sheriff deputy to seek counseling for me is the single worst horrifying thing that I've heard in my 47 years on this earth. Worse than anything Hollywood has ever came up, take the worst slasher gore film ever, no, this was worse. 
And it had to do with someone perpetrating an act that caused the death of a child in its mother's womb. The death of a baby is probably the worst thing in the world, period. And it's not a choice. It's murder. Words matter and words have meaning. And the word is not the word of choice, but it's the word of murder. If it's murder, then it doesn't matter who murdered the baby. It's still murder. If it's someone that murdered the baby or if it's a doctor that did it because it's still murder. Does it seem crazy to you? Sounds a little crazy to me that someone can hit a pregnant woman. If the baby dies, we charge them with murder. But unless they have the title of doctor and then the mother asks for it. That's insane. And so again, the question is not a question of murder. The question, the question not a question of choice. It's a question of murder. Excuse me. Last year, 2020, it marked the 47th year that abortion became legal in this, in this country. And since then, 61 million babies have died in this country due to a medical procedure performed by a medical professional. And I'm using that term very loosely. Check this out. Of the 61 million, 19 million of those babies were African-American babies. If that's not intentional genocide of a specific population of our country, I don't know what is. Answer me this. How is it that the African-American population of this country only equates for 14.2% of our population, and yet they account for 31.1% of the abortions? That should just make us sick to our stomachs. And then, then how come the overwhelming percentage of abortion clinics are in neighborhoods that are very specifically, predominantly African-American? It's not a coincidence. This is on purpose. Margaret Sanger, she's the founder of Planned Parenthood. She founded that organization on October 16, 1916. She said this, quote, The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. Let me read that again in case you didn't catch it. The most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. This is, Margaret Sanger thought that the answer to curb the population growth of people with extra melanin in their skin or somebody that, was, that was, had an extra chromosome was to murder them. It's murder. Before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I, I thought, you know, it's not a baby inside a mother's womb. It's just a fetus. I wrongfully thought weeks 1 through 12, it's just a fetus, nothing more, nothing less. And then, magically, presto change at day 1, at, day week, at week 13, it magically became a baby. You know why I thought that? Because I was told this over and over and over by these experts, okay? I thought people that were so smart, they're doctors, they're the ones with these big giant titles after their names, they're the ones telling me this, and so they must know what they're talking about, so I'm going to go ahead and believe them. And what I thought, it was very wrong. And I met Jesus Christ. And he changed my heart, and he changed my life, he saved me, and then I came to realize that everything I believed was wrong. And for those that are pro-choice, that's just a nicer way of saying pro-murder. Murder's a sin. An unborn is, is absolutely the most precious, innocent human being there is, and they're precious to God. 
And to take the life of one of them, it's a sin. But you know what? Jesus, the sinless God-man, do you know he was murdered? He was murdered. And as he's on the cross, and they're nailing him to the cross, and one of the things that Jesus said, there were seven things that Jesus said, one of the things was, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. You know, Jesus forgives murderers. Jesus asked the Father to forgive the men that were murdering him. And Jesus died so that murderers could go free. I need you to know that even the sin of murder can be forgiven. That Jesus can and will forgive somebody of that. But there's another issue I need to talk to you about today. And that's the issue of harm. Harm. Some think that the baby that's inside the mother's womb is the only one that's that's harmed when abortion is performed. Not true. A baby isn't the only one that's harmed. A mother is harmed too. There's a father that's harmed, and all honestly, I have to, just in my mind, I have to think that that mother is harmed even worse than the father. And there's some that just want to bang the drum that abortion a woman's right, but I'd like to those that believe that to know that abortion harms women. First off, half of the babies that are murdered are little baby girls. That's one way that uh, women are harmed. But I think the mother that's left behind, she's harmed too. You know, I've had to counsel many, many men that have had to endure the death of a child, but probably moms are suffering even worse. And I don't know how many times I've sat and I've counseled with some woman and she's got this deep, deep secret and she's unwilling to tell anybody. I just have to wonder, could this be the, the sin that she's carrying? Is this the weight, the burden that she's carrying? I don't know. Because very often the weight that that woman's carrying is something that happened many years ago when she allowed someone to take the life of an unborn child that was inside her. I need to be as delicate as humanly possible here. Because we'd be crazy to think that there's no one that knows the pain of what we're talking about. We'd have to bury our heads in the sand and not think that she might be with us right now and she's suffering greatly because of a choice that was made. Because I know that there's mothers today that they look at their living children and they can't help but wonder what might have happened had a different choice been made many, many years before. And this is what I want every mother to know that's suffering like that. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves you more than I can put into words into a sermon. And because Jesus loves you, I want to know that I love you and I want you to know that there's a church that loves you. And we want to help you with what you're struggling with. We want you to give it to Jesus because he's an awesome savior. I believe scripture is very, very clear. That a baby that dies in a mother's womb, whether it be from natural causes or unnatural causes, that baby goes to be with Jesus. That baby directly to heaven. Go, 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 Go directly to boardwalk. That's what's going on when a baby dies in a mother's womb. And if you know the weight of what we're talking about, I I need you to know that Jesus can and will. He will forgive you. He will forgive you and he will help you put your life back together, what what you're dealing with from a choice that was made. But here's the deal. There's some that think, no, he can't forgive that one. Either Jesus forgives sins or he doesn't. There's no two ways to cut this. There's a list of sins that Jesus won't forgive. It's found in Matthew 12, verse 31. I have time to explain it. Look it up. It's one sin. Nowhere in that, that list do I see the sin of abortion. When an abortion occurs is, occurs, is it right? No. Is it forgivable? Yes. So if you know the pain that, I, that I'm, we've been talking about here, then there's going to come a day 
if you know him, if you've given your life to him, that you'll see a nail-scarred hand actually wipe the tear from your eye and you will never cry again. But right now, right here, I'd want you to seek forgiveness. That's what Jesus would want you to do. It all starts with knowing that we're a sinner. Like that the tax collector that beat his chest and said, God, be merciful on a sinner like me. See, there must come a time where we recognize, that's me. I'm the sinner, and I need to be forgiven. Because the Bible teaches that, that all sinners are separated from God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to bring us back to, to the Father, to pay the price for what we have rightfully, wrongfully, excuse me, done. And if you've never called on the name of Jesus to forgive you, I'd ask you to do that now. If you're feeling the weight of your past, cry out to him. Just say something along the lines of, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me from my sins. And I pray this in your holy, precious name. Amen.